88K News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Sean Kennedy. Tonight's headlines. Bars, karaoke, swimming pools and theme parks can reopen from Friday. The government says it plans to spend billions more on pandemic relief measures. And officials say the citywide coronavirus testing program cost taxpayers $530 million, but it was worth it. The government says swimming pools, bars and various other entertainment venues can reopen later this week now that the coronavirus situation is easing. Priscilla Ng reports. From Friday, swimming pools and various entertainment venues, including bars, karaoke, nightclubs, party rooms and theme parks, will be allowed to reopen. The mask requirement will also be relaxed at gyms and sports venues. Restaurants, meanwhile, will be allowed to operate until midnight, but still with a maximum of four people per table. With civil servants also returning to work and students going back to school next week, experts have warned of the possibility of another spike in infections. Health Secretary Sophia Chan says the government is performing a delicate balancing act. It is not a total relaxation. It is with conditions. And these conditions emphasized on, for example, reducing the risk of the mass-off activities, having uh, a capacity limit on the number of people, as well as the distance between people. People would like to resume to uh, their normal life, uh, as well as we want to also resume some economic activities. Professor Chen also says people will need to get used to the new normal before COVID vaccines become available, and the government will no doubt ease and tighten and social distancing measures again in future, depending on the coronavirus situation. The government appeared to rule out any further cash handouts as it announced another round of targeted relief measures aimed at industries that are hardest hit by the economic downturn. It's also setting aside $10 billion to buy COVID vaccines as they become available. Wendy Wong has the details. The government is planning to spend billions more in its third round of COVID relief, but this won't include another $10,000 handout. Instead, Financial Secretary Po Chan said $4.5 billion will be used to support 23 specific industries deemed to have been hardest hit by the pandemic, including tourism-related businesses and the food and beverage sector. We understand the financial hardship that many people are going through at the moment because of the economic situation. However, as you know, public resources is a finite resources is rather limited. So we believe for a combination of measures, adopting a more targeted approach is more appropriate in the current circumstances in order to assist those hard-hit sectors and people uh, most affected by the COVID-19. Billions more will be spent on extending many existing support schemes, including special payments for the unemployed, which will now run for six more months until the end of May. Local businesses will be allowed to borrow more money, up to $5 million, in loans fully guaranteed by the government. Raising government rents for commercial properties will be reduced further, and a host of government charges will be exempted for a longer period. Pa Chan says this unprecedented spending will see Hong Kong's budget deficit soaring to around $300 billion this financial year and whittle Hong Kong's fiscal reserves down to around $800 billion, roughly equivalent to the post-SARS level of 12 to 13 months of government expenditure. The government says the territory-wide testing program for coronavirus, which ended yesterday, cost it $530 million. That went on paying the salaries of the staff at the testing centres, as well as on logistics, cleaning and security services. 
Officials say Beijing paid for the lab tests and the salaries of the mainland personnel sent here to help with the programme. 32 of the almost 1.8 million tests came back positive and Chief Executive Carrie Lam was asked whether it was money well spent. This uh, universal community testing program has made multiple contributions to our anti-epidemic efforts. And it is not easy, or actually it's not quite right, to um, reflect or measure these uh, benefits by the unit cost of a confirmed case. Hong Kong has seen four new COVID-19 cases today, all involving people who just returned from overseas. The police have arrested a member of staff at TVB on suspicion of inciting people to damage the station's equipment. Officers say the 25-year-old production team member is suspected of urging people to attack celebrities from the broadcaster and to threaten companies that advertise with it. Police say he's also suspected of encouraging people to damage MTR facilities. You're tuned to RTHK. The time is coming up to five minutes past 11. Chief Executive Carrie Lam says she wants to set the record straight about the 12 Hong Kongers captured by the Guangdong Coast Guard last month. She says they're not democracy activists being persecuted, as some people have claimed, but suspected criminals who were on the run. Priscilla Ng reports. Asked about the plight of the 12 who were caught trying to get to Taiwan by speedboat, Mrs Lam said they're accused of illegally crossing into mainland waters, so it's only right that they are being dealt with by the mainland. She added that some people in Hong Kong and abroad have described the 12 as democracy activists whose rights are being suppressed. But in fact, she said, they're either wanted by police for various offenses or have skipped bail. At the weekend, Hua Chunying from the foreign ministry also rejected the idea that the 12 are merely pro-democracy activists. She went further and labeled them separatists, a comment Mrs. Lam said she didn't feel she needed to respond to. Um, because there are so many comments about Hong Kong these days, even when I was named uh, by the Secretary of State in the United States. So uh, there's no particular value in commenting on others' comments uh, unless it is uh, uh, something um, of a very important matter that uh, we need to uh, refute or respond to. The families of those being held in Shenzhen have complained they haven't heard from their loved ones, that the lawyers they've sent them have been turned away, and that they've had next to no help from the SAR government. Mrs. Lam says her administration is helping the families where it can, but people have to respect the mainland's legal system. We are following this principle uh, by uh, contacting the relatives of the uh, uh, arrested and providing the needed assistance through our immigration department as well as our Guangdong Economic and Trade Office. But as I said, we will do so uh, in accordance with our law and also in full respect of the uh, legal system in another jurisdiction. Chief Executive Carrie Lam ending that report by Priscilla Ng. Executive Councillor and Barrister Ronnie Tong says Hong Kong people should fully respect the mainland's legal system, including that human rights safeguards here do not apply across the border. Asked what he thinks about Shenzhen authorities refusing to allow the captured Hong Kongers access to lawyers appointed by their families, he said people should know that the mainland does things in its own way. Mr Tong spoke to Candace Wong. I don't know much about the mainland procedures, what I do know is that the uh, uh, international covenant uh, in relation to human rights uh, do not apply to uh, the mainland. They have their own way of doing things. And uh, as I say, we ought to accord them with the full respect uh, as to how they would deal with criminal matters uh, in accordance with their system 
and uh, laws. So now, all that we can say uh, is that we hope that everything is being done uh, in accordance with the legal requirements on the mainland. And also, uh, some are worried that they can face charges on the mainland for actions done here in Hong Kong. Say, uh, one of them is accused of breaching the national security laws here. Would um, he or possibly others face the same accusations on the mainland? Because I, I, I seriously doubt it. Uh, according to the Hong Kong national security law, uh, cases would only be taken over uh, by uh, uh, the mainland uh, if uh, they satisfy the conditions set out in Article 55 of the national security law. Now, uh, those conditions do not appear to be present uh, in the current case. Uh, so I think the chances of they being tried on the mainland for offences committed in Hong Kong are not very high. So do you mean that basically the SAR government can do nothing over the matter for now? I mean, should the Kerry Lam administration do something to, to try and assist these detainees in Shenzhen? Well, I think the SAR government is doing everything they can. But uh, I'm mainly trying to emphasize that there are no legal basis for us to make any demands. We hope that, uh, uh, you know, uh, we can come to some kind of informal arrangement whereby uh, the interests of those arrested on the mainland uh, can be better served. But we must understand and respect that where people have committed offence uh, within the territorial waters of the mainland, they first will have to answer the criminal uh, prosecutions first before we can even talk about any kind of informal arrangement. The police say they'll follow up on criticism from the courts over the way some officers have handled the protest-related investigations and over their testimony during trials. In recent weeks, the courts have rejected evidence from officers, questioned some of their actions at protests, and in one case ruled that officers told lie after lie in court. The forces told an independent police complaints council meeting that any officers found to have behaved improperly could face disciplinary hearings. Meanwhile, the police say they've finished follow-up work on three out of 52 recommendations made by the watchdog in its report on last year's unrest, including on finding better locations for temporary detention facilities. IPCC Chairman Anthony Neo says the authorities hope to work on the other recommendations in the coming year. These are still relatively early days. Now, I have been in touch with the chief executive, the secretary for security, as well as the commissioner, and they all assure me that they are treating this uh, with the fullest urgency. We are working towards a timetable, but there are some aspects of that which require time. For example, training, use of force. Right now, there are a lot of public order events around the world. What the police tell us is that they would like to collect information as to how people deal with these events. The watchdog was also asked if it needs to look again at the gang rampage in Yun Long on, the 20, on July 21st last year, after the police recently announced a completely new version of events. The force now claims that rather, that rather than an indiscriminate mob attack on passengers at the town's MTR station, there had actually been a fight between two equally matched sides. Some of the victims of the attack have since been arrested on suspicion of rioting. Mr Neo says ultimately it's up to the courts to decide what actually went, went on that night. We must trust our legal system in this. Each case has to be based on good evidence before a prosecution can be brought. And therefore, they need to produce a file for each case. They need to get legal advice. And then, of course, they need to bring the case to court. These are the procedures which our legal system require to ensure that each citizen, in fact, has his right under the law.
to be prosecuted according to the evidence and only to be found guilty if the case is proven beyond reasonable doubt. Two dozen pro-democracy activists have appeared in court to face charges over the June 4th vigil that was held at Victoria Park this year, despite a police ban on the annual event. No pleas were taken and the case was adjourned pending the prosecution's request to transfer it to the district court. Damon Pang reports. The activists are charged with organising, inciting others to join and taking part themselves in an unauthorised assembly. They include the leaders of the Alliance in support of patriotic democratic movements in China, Li Chekyan, Albert Ho and Chao Hang Tong, media tycoon Jimmy Lai, and the former head of the now disbanded Demosisto group, Joshua Wong. Before making their appearances at West Kowloon Court, the defendants chanted slogans outside, arguing that mourning those killed in the 1989 massacre is not a crime. On them, For the first time ever, the Victoria Park vigil was banned this year, with police citing a gathering limit due to the pandemic. But thousands turned up anyway, lighting candles to mark Beijing's bloody crackdown. At the hearing, the prosecution said immigration records show that two of those charged, Sunny Jung and Nathan Law, have left Hong Kong. Magistrate Peter Law told the prosecution to send court summonses to the pair again. Mr Law fled to the UK around the time when the national security law came into effect at the end of June. Pro-Beijing newspapers reported that Mr Cheung fled the SAR last month, although he had not confirmed or denied the reports. The Consumer Council says many low-sugar and zero-sugar brands on sale in Hong Kong are rich in sweeteners that could be harmful if they're consumed in large quantities. It says such drinks may also increase sweet cravings and make people prone to eat food containing higher levels of sugar. Here's the watchdog's Loy Wing Chong. Too much sweeteners, artificial sweeteners, actually there's a high risk of chronic heart disease or stroke and also at the mortality way will be increased. Then secondly, I think what the health risk is you can affect the sensitivity of the taste buds and then you may want to take more and more sweetener or sweet products so that maybe in the long run you get the obesity, get a weight problem. Finally, there's a certain risk with certain sweeteners, for example the sucrose. If you take the sucrose, they may affect your gut bacteria so that may affect your gut health. A reminder of our top stories tonight. Bars, karaoke's, swimming pools and theme parks can reopen from Friday. The government says it plans to spend billions more on pandemic relief measures. And officials say the citywide coronavirus testing program cost taxpayers $530 million, but it was worth it. The news from RTHK. RTHK It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's Newswrap programme. The government has announced another round of targeted relief measures for industries that were hardest hit by coronavirus fueled economic downturn. However, cash handouts, which some political parties have been lobbying for, don't appear to be part of the package. Financial Secretary Paul Chan says the city's fiscal reserves will shrink to around $800 billion, equivalent to about a year of government expenditure. Anna-Marie Evans asked Gary Ng, Natixis Asia-Pacific economist, if this was worrying. I think if we look at the 
number from the government, it hasn't really changed too much from the projection back in February. Therefore, I don't think there will be a, like a very severe change in terms of the growth prospect as well. However, if we look at the fiscal reserve, it did indeed reach quite a low level uh, comparing to the past. However, it's still a bit far from like the level that we need to worry because I think for the government right now, it is really a trade-off between the fiscal sustainability and growth. And it's quite clear that the government has chosen the former at this point of the time because uh, comparing to some of the untargeted approach like uh, the cash handout, which eventually hasn't been that useful to growth at the end, the approach seems to be a bit changing to the area that reducing the size of the stimulus or like different attempts to keep the employment afloat. So I think generally the government is trying to reduce the size of the stimulus gradually. But on the other hand, indeed, Hong Kong's fiscal position is still in quite a decent position comparing to the rest of the world. And although Hong Kong hasn't really had much debt from the government side, it, there is indeed room for that in the future if needed. So how long do you think it will take to rebuild the economy under the so-called new normal? quite a difficult question to answer right now because I think the most important risk that Hong Kong facing right now is really the about the evolution of the coronavirus which is a bit hard to predict. Right now what we are seeing is that on the sentiment side, both from the consumer and business, it has been quite negative as we have seen from the previous uh, PMI's reading. Retail has been quite bad and that investment has been uh, lagging behind as well. So I think on that end, it is a bit hard to re expect uh, basically a full pickup in the uh, second half of 2020. We're still forecasting another 7% of total year recession this year after the 1.2% last year. And then I think the earliest time that we will be able to see a pickup will be January next year. What more do you feel should be done as the government balances helping people and the sagging economy and saving for a rainy day? I think on the one hand, for the most immediate tackle approach, the key is really to help on the sectors that has been affected the most. We're talking about retail or hospitality or even some of the uh, trading sector because we have seen that from all of this sector, the unemployment rate has indeed uh, remained elevated and then the business opportunities have been quite limited. But I think on the other hand, the more important question for Hong Kong is really that even in the upcoming policy address is that Hong Kong has been in the past a bit underinvested into some of the key issues. We're talking about healthcare or social welfare. If we look at the population forecast, we are seeing that probably 30% of the population will be belongs to the aging group in the next 20 years. So I think in the policy address, it needs to or tackle both the short-term and long-term issue. I, I do think it's a bit hard for the government to uh, reduce the spending at this point of the time, simply because it has been underinvested in the past. So I think um, on, on that end, on the short term, there needs to be more support on the affected sector, rent, and on the other hand, uh, health care, social welfare. All of this long-term issue cannot be neglected. Now, Texas Asia-Pacific economist Gary Ng speaking there to Anna-Marie Evans. The COVID pandemic has decimated industries across the world with just a handful of sectors benefiting from the social distancing regulations and controls. But it's not just supermarkets or streaming video services that have done well. Local organic farms have also seen a huge surge in business. Our reporter Maggie Ho takes a look. Every morning, farmer Wong Yuwing lays out heaping stacks of fresh organic vegetables, sorting them into different piles before they are delivered to customers across Hong Kong. Business is booming. 
At the start of the pandemic, sales surged fivefold. 喺過年嗰段時間啦，咁有一段時間就市面上嗰個菜其實被搶購一空嘅，咁大家要食菜嘅時候點算咧 ？During the Lunar New Year, people were scrambling to buy vegetables. There was a shortage of vegetables from the mainland, so people were looking around and found that there are some local farms, and they felt it safer to eat locally grown produce. Then they started looking for bazaars that sell local veggies, and when they cannot go to the bazaars, are there online shops that deliver to the door? They began placing orders with local farms that have delivery services. That includes his organic farm in Camtin. But even after vegetable supplies from the mainland went back to normal, business stayed up, way up. Mr. Wong says even now he's doing two to three times more business than normal, and he attributes this to the growing number of people here who've had to learn to cook during the pandemic and want fresh ingredients delivered to their doorstep. One of them is budding home chef Virginia Wong. About two to three months ago, because of the pandemic, I started working from home and began to cook more often. A friend showed me a Facebook page called Green Objects that has a lot of information about local agriculture. I saw that some farms would deliver, and actually, I visited a local organic farms bazaar near my home, bought some vegetables back, and found they're really tasty. But fresh local organic produce comes at a price. She had to pay a hefty premium for her latest delivery: a bag full of eggplants, cucumbers, melons, and water spinach. 總共啲菜咧就二百四十蚊，咁另外加五蚊咧就係誒手續費。貴咧就 I paid two hundred and forty dollars for these, plus five dollars in delivery fees. Whether it's expensive depends on how you look at it. If you compare it with the ten dollar for two catties of produce you get in the wet market, of course it's expensive. For two hundred dollars you can buy a lot. But if you compare the taste, the freshness, and the time and effort spent by local farmers, I think it's worth it. And you can trust them. You know they're organic and they don't use pesticides, and they only grow vegetables in the right season. It's worth it. Above all, I support the philosophy. Miss Wong says it'd be more difficult to keep ordering organic produce after the pandemic dies down and she has to go back to work. But she says she will try her best to support local farmers and see if they can make alternative arrangements, like leaving the vegetables with her neighbor or just leaving it outside her gate. If Hong Kong's local agriculture becomes more mature, farmers will be able to grow produce on a larger scale. I guess this will bring the price down a little bit. The farmer is also optimistic that the surge in sales won't be short-lived. This is a starting point. A lot of them used to eat out a lot, but now they begin to cook for themselves. So they would look for the ingredients. As our supply grows, we would be able to bring down the cost and thus the price, so that more people would be able to enjoy local vegetables. It will no longer be something only for the middle class, and low-income people could buy something other than mainland veggies. I hope local organic vegetables would change from a luxury item to something everybody can enjoy every day. That report by RTHK's Maggie Ho. A BBC investigation has exposed the exploitation of migrants who sell kidneys to pay for a passage to Europe. 
A senior gang member told the BBC that nearly half of those who give up a kidney are never paid. The kidneys are mostly sold by African migrants and refugees who use the money to pay people smugglers. Some victims have organs removed against their will, the BBC's Richard Bilton reports. It is an ancient city at the heart of a vile trade. Cairo, one of the hubs for the illegal market in human flesh. Around the world, there is a shortage of transplant organs. Here, they are harvested from the poor. Migrants and refugees sell their kidneys to pay to get to Europe. Many are tricked, like Asha, who says she was drugged and then operated on. To protect her anonymity, we're using an actor. I found myself in a room with blood everywhere. The door was locked and I started kicking it. Then I called the police and they came and got me. They took me to the hospital. There they told me that my kidney had been removed. There are thought to be five million migrants and refugees in Cairo. These are the people that the gangs prey upon. We want to get to the criminals. It's difficult. This is a dangerous world, and Egypt is not a country that welcomes investigative reporters. But we get a breakthrough. One of the main gang leaders agrees to meet. He said they're arranging between 20 and 30 illegal transplants a week. His words are spoken by an actor. It's busiest in the summer because kidney patients get sicker. They drink a lot of water because of the hot weather. We have a lot of work during that period from all over the world. And the people who don't get paid what they're promised, how do you feel about that? I give them their money. Other people agree a price but never pay up after the surgery. Does this happen often? About 40% of the cases. Globally, between 5 and 10% of transplants are thought to use black market organs. That's thousands of illegal operations every year. It is lucrative for the criminals, but there's no protection for the donors. Adnan Sharif is from Doctors Against Forced Organ Trafficking. It's illegal, it's unethical, it is immoral. They're exploited for their organs. Some of them may receive a very small financial remuneration. Some of them will receive absolutely nothing at all. And this is exploitation and it's a form of modern day slavery. The Egyptian government says it's won praise and approval internationally for its strategy to eliminate this heinous crime. It's made arrests and says the illegal operations happen in private clinics and hospitals rather than government hospitals. But this trade is worth millions of dollars and victims say rules are used against them. They have to sign forms saying they're donating their organs for free. But this paperwork can be used to keep them quiet. Heber sold a kidney but was never paid. I found myself in the room after the surgery. I woke up screaming. I got so scared. I was screaming, this is wrong. You cheated me. People called the doctor and told him, there's a patient you did surgery on and she wasn't paid. He took the documents I signed to a lawyer. So if I tell the police, they can prove I donated my kidney voluntarily. I made this mistake and I don't want another girl to make it. The Egyptian government denies Heber would have been arrested. It says victims have the right to report these gangs without fear on its hotlines. And it has increased the maximum punishment for organised criminal gangs to life imprisonment. But there is no shortage of desperate people. Tonight in Cairo, the latest victims are preparing to go under the knife. 
human beings butchered for profit. The BBC's Richard Bilton with that report. Venus is our nearest planetary neighbour. It's also extremely hot and ravaged by pressures strong enough to crush a human body, so perhaps not the most hospitable place for supporting life. But scientists have discovered a gas in the atmosphere of Venus that they think may have been produced by living organisms. If so, it could be a sign that extraterrestrial life exists on many planets throughout the universe. Astronomer Emily dravik Maunder from the Royal Observatory Greenwich in London took part in the study. What we've discovered in Venus's atmosphere is phosphine gas. And on a rocky planet like the Earth, phosphine's an incredibly rare gas, and it's mainly produced by life that we can find on the Earth. Um, so it's what we call a biosignature. It's an indicator of life. On Earth, uh, phosphine is really caused by different kinds of life. We have human activity, so for example, through industry, but we also have microorganisms or microbes that, that produce phosphine gas. So if we can find a gas like this in Venus's atmosphere, that's incredibly exciting because it could mean that it's also being produced by life like it is on the Earth. At this point in time, our team worked together and we tried to explain what was causing the amount of phosphine gas that we could see in Venus's atmosphere. So we had to think of things like how the sunlight would interact with the atmosphere. Maybe it could be caused by volcanoes or lightning in the atmosphere. But at this point in time, everything that we know about the planet Venus, nothing can really cause the amount of phosphine that we see. So that means we have to start thinking outside of the box and we have to start considering other things that could cause this gas. That could be uh, chemical or geological processes that we're just unaware of on Venus, or it could be another explanation, which is that there's a biological process happening in the clouds and so life is causing the phosphine. Those stories were part of the Newswrap program, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Have you registered for the $10,000 cash payout scheme? If you're a Hong Kong permanent resident aged 18 or above and have not yet registered, you may register electronically through a bank for direct payment into your sole named account. It's quick and easy. You may also register using a paper form or register through Hong Kong Post to collect a check. Registration is open until the end of 2021. Visit cashpayout.gov.hk for details. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. January to December, we'll have moments to remember. 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 Moments to remember. That is specially designed for your listening pleasure. Nostalgia with Ray Codero all the way until one. This is the green leaves of summer.
another popular Green Leaves of Summer, performed by Johnny Pearson, his guitar and his orchestra. 26 minutes to midnight, nostalgia now continues with... with a regular voice of Jim Reeves. I love you because you understand it. Every single thing I try to do. Most of all, be 